This morning we are continuing on in a series of messages uh, out of the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, the Philippian church, and the title of this series is Courageous. Uh, Courageous. What is courage? You know, courage is uh, grace under fire. Uh, Courage is fear holding on for one minute longer. We've been talking kind of about that the past couple of weeks and uh, using Philippians. Philippians, uh, out of all the early church letters that are in our Bible, is known as the letter of joy. It's Paul's most endearing letter to a local congregation. And the reason uh, the Philippians get this letter, uh, and not the Corinthians or the Ephesians or any other church, is because Paul just had a real deep affection for the church in Philippi. And in part, that deep affection came because he, he founded the church. And on one of his missionary journeys, he got to know the people pretty well. But more than that, he just had a deep admiration for the depth of their faith. I have a lot of admiration for a lot of the depth of, of, of a lot of your faith here today. I could write a letter of joy to the church of the lakes, to be honest with you. But he had a deep admiration for their faith, and he also was excited with how these people responded to the gospel of God. So having already understood what the gospel of God is all about, Paul tells us in the book of Romans, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The Philippians already knew that. So he wasn't like he did with the Romans, unpacking what the gospel of God was. Instead, he was going to talk to them about, about, look, you already know what the gospel's about. So we're going to spend a little time together talking about what it takes to live a life worthy of the gospel. This is what Paul wants to convey to this church. Again, he already knows they've received with joy the good news of Jesus Christ. They have claimed him as as, uh, their Lord and Savior. Now he wants them to understand most fully what is uh, the good news in regard to the practicalities of our lives. How does one live a life worthy of of the gospel. Well, Paul tells us it takes courage and a whole lot of courage. For, for instance, we, we looked at, at in week one, it takes the courage to be gracious to other people. It takes the courage to extend to somebody else what God in Christ Jesus has first uh, extended to you, that, that be grace. It takes the gr- courage to be gracious. It also takes the courage to be last. Okay, uh, friends, if we are ever to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to have our life rooted in humility. We need to be willing to put the interests of other people before our own interests. Today, we're going to look at, it also takes the courage to be vulnerable. Let me guess, making yourself vulnerable is not something that's on, uh, high on your priority list today, is it? You know, like exposing yourself to judgment, that, that's really a, a fun thing to want to do, right? Uh, exposing yourself to ridicule or disapproving glares from other people. Well, we could do without that today, couldn't we? You know, I, I think people will often look at vulnerability and think weakness, right? In our culture, we are conditioned to keep self from being exposed, We are conditioned in America to not allow other people to see the authentic self, the the raw emotions of it all. So instead of vulnerability, we are conditioned to to figure out how to convince other people that we got all of our our stuff together, right? 
Don't expose the growth edges. Don't, don't let the emotions crack. Don't let others know you're at the end of the rope. And yet, what we see in the very person of Jesus Christ is that to bring healing to humanity, really to bring healing to all of creation, it takes a real willingness on his part to be vulnerable, to be exposed, to, to be brought low. Friends, what I have come to understand in my relationship with Jesus Christ as I have read through God's word, what I have come to understand is that deep and abiding relationship with God and with one another only happens to the level we're willing to be vulnerable with each other. Only happens to the level we're willing to be exposed and to let people in. This morning we're going to look at probably one of the, the, the most famous passages in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And uh, it's not something that Paul actually uh, wrote himself. Uh, what we're looking at in Philippians 2 is what's known as the Christ hymn. So this is a hymn in the church, the early church, that congregations sang all over the world. And so Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, was referring to something these Christians would have already been singing uh, dur during their worship services. Um, so, so Paul is just reiterating the beauty of, uh, of, of the uh, meaning of this hymn, the, the Christ hymn. It's probably one of the oldest, if not the oldest hymn the church has coming out of the first century. But, but listen to how uh, Paul understands the necessity of vulnerability when it comes to Christ and our salvation. And then again, how we are to respond. L listen to God's word. It says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. No, instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Amen. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you so much for your life-giving word. I thank you for this opportunity we've been allotted to, to come and gather and, and not only hear that word proclaimed, but also to hear some reflection on it. So Lord, I ask in these next few moments that you'd bless the words of my lips, the meditation of all our hearts that they be of profit to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we really don't like to expose ourselves, do we? I'm not just talking exhibitionism here. We don't like to expose ourselves. Do you know that this has actually been an issue since the very moment Adam and Eve bit into that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden? You know how the story goes, right? Uh, God tells Adam and Eve, hey, look, I'm, I'm giving you this entire garden for your pleasure. You are going to be the king and queen of this world, and you get to name the animals, you get to enjoy the, 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 the fruit that these trees um, grow, but there's one thing I don't want you to do. Do not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that, and you'll be fine. 
Well, as the story goes, the devil, taking the form of a serpent, a snake, comes up to Adam and Eve and convinces them that the, 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 the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it, it looks desirable to eat. It, it looks desirable to gain wisdom. And so they pulled off a piece of that fruit and took a bite. The story goes on to say, you know what happens next, right? We're told in Genesis 3, verse 7, that their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked, so they ran and hid. In the church, we have been hiding our nakedness ever since, have we not? We don't like to be exposed, certainly not physically, right? But I would also add, we don't like to be exposed relationally, emotionally, or spiritually. Why? I think it's because we believe too much exposure is going to leave us burned, right? You know, back in high school, uh, I was part of our school's marching band. Yes, I have some semblance of musical abilities. Okay, I played the tuba, all right? That was my semblance of musical ability. I could puff out quarter notes and whole notes uh, in the marching band, but I was part of the marching band. In one of the years, we went down to Orlando, Florida to play in the Disney Parade. We played in Disney Parade, we packed up our instruments, and we had the entire day at Magic Kingdom, had a blast. Uh, down in Disney with, with some of my friends. Well, the last day before we got on the airplo- uh, airplane to fly back up to Buffalo, New York, where I'm from, uh, we got to spend a day at Cocoa Beach. In the morning, we were to go out to Cocoa Beach. Everybody in the hotel is lubing themselves up with, with sunscreen. Everyone except me. You see, I didn't think I needed sunscreen. I wanted to go back to snowy, gloomy, dark, cold Buffalo, New York, with a nice, beautiful bronze tan. So I disregarded the sunscreen. We get to Cocoa Beach, and not long after getting there, I, I ended up falling asleep on the beach. Woke up hours later, I was lobster red. Friends, I was miserable, to say the least. Uh, possibly one reason why I like to go to the mountains for vacation and not the beach, but, but that's uh, aside. By the way, that's what we think is going to happen when we expose ourselves, right? We're going to get burned like I did under that Florida sun 25 years ago now? You know, we think, I think if we open up our hearts too um, um, greatly, if we share our struggles too openly, if we express our deep needs, then we're going to be left vulnerable to the elements and we're going to get burned relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. Friends, this couldn't be farther from the truth. Look, it is important to discern who you want to share some of your your, uh, vulnerabilities and issues with and when you should actually share them. But listen, without some level of vulnerability and relationship, we never grow in depth of those relationships. Not with God and not with, with one another. This is one reason why God in Christ Jesus came to be among us. Look, the sin in the Garden of Eden brought much pain and much brokenness into our lives, right? We were cut off. In the moment they bit on that, uh, that, that forbidden fruit, we were cut off from perfect union with God. And we also began to struggle in our relationships with one another. We see this in that Genesis text, don't we? When God approaches them, what have you done? What do they start doing? Blaming one another and blaming the, the, the snake for, for, for their actions, 
They began to struggle in relationship with one another. They became hardened, our hearts impenetrable, right? As a defense to protect us from getting hurt, from getting wounded. That's why we do it, isn't it? We guard ourselves, we erect walls, we, we hold one another at arm's length, we distrust, we, we don't open ourselves up for fear of getting hurt. But friends, where there is no vulnerability, there really is no love. You know, C.S. Lewis, after he lost his uh, wife, Joy, prematurely to cancer, uh, wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in that book, he talks about the, the uh, inseparable bond between vulnerability, between love, and between suffering. This is what he says. I have the quote up for you. It's rather lengthy, but this is what it says. Lewis says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. We know that, right? However, if you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies, little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. In fact, it will be unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And yet, friends, we have a God that was willing to love us enough we had a God who had the courage to be vulnerable enough to take on human flesh and make his dwelling among us. He had the courage to be vulnerable enough, but not only on taking on human flesh, but by also allowing himself to be strung up on a cross to die for our sins, fully exposed. And he did it to heal our relationships with him in our relationships with one another. Paul begins this Christ hymn by saying, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. You know, prior to this verse, and we looked at this last week in service, in the, in the first four verses of Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul highlights for us different characteristics that we must have. It's not optional. We must have these characteristics if we are to emulate Jesus Christ in our world. So Paul says, for those of us who are in Christ, that phrase, in Christ, is a phrase Paul uses over a hundred times in his letters to the early church. And he's referring to people who have, made a, who have laid claim to a faith in Jesus Christ, who have called Jesus their Lord and Savior. So Paul's saying, for those of us who are in Christ, we are to be selfless. We are to be humble. And we are to put the interests of other people before our own. Again, these are the characteristics the apostle says for those of us who seek to live a life worthy of the gospel. You know, Paul, in, in most of his letters to the early church, places an emphasis on the state of a, of a mind as indicative, really, uh, to a person's faithfulness to God. So here in Philippians 2, have the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus right? Romans 12, Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Instead, be transformed. How? By the renewing of the mind. So we can discern God's will, God's good, perfect, and honorable will. So the state of mind, I think, honestly, could be understood as the attitude that a person beholds. 
So what we hold in our mind eventually is born in the actions of our lives. We get that, right? By the way, this is why it's so important that we watch the influences that enter into our lives, into our eyes, our ears, and our mouth. Let me give you for instance. If I am a person that is constantly eating processed foods, refined sugars, and chemicals that make my drinks sweet, then I am going to start dealing with the consequences of those choices, and they're not going to be good, right? Hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, susceptibility to stroke, excessive weight gain. In the same way, if I am constantly allowing ungodly influences into my life, whether that be in the form of music, of movies, of relationships, of life experiences, if I'm constantly allowing ungodly influences into my lives, they're going to eventually shape my attitude and ultimately be born in my action. Paul is saying to the church, stop. Stop it all. Let the same mindset that was in Christ Jesus be also in you. Friends, the mindset of Christ Jesus implicates the priorities of our lives. We get that, right? That implicates the priorities of our lives. For instance, if, if the mind of Christ is in us, I wonder how will that manifest itself in our character, right? Or how will uh, we grapple with those internal uh, uh, conflicts and contradictions? Or how will it affect our approach to conflict with other people? Or even how will it determine our capacity to serve and to sacrifice or to forgive? So, so how can we understand most fully the mind of Christ? Well, that's an easy answer. Read the Gospels. Read the, the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they give witness to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You want to know how Christ led? Read his story. And as you read his story, consider, how did Jesus deal with conflict with other people? How did Jesus execute justice in his day and place? How did Jesus love the unlovable? How was Jesus willing to sacrifice and forgive? So in his letter to the Philippians, Paul in part understood that the mind of Christ is defined by things like humility, selflessness, and vulnerability. Maybe a better translation, or should I say paraphrase, of Philippians 2, verse 5 would be this. Show among yourselves the attitude that arises from the fact that you are in Christ. What does that mean? Do the fruit of your life bear to the truth that you are in Christ, that you have claimed him as your Lord and Savior? As you interact and relate to one another, is there any semblance of humility, selflessness, or vulnerability in those interactions? You know, one of the realities uh, about Philippians 2 that, that I, I love so much is that the Apostle Paul offers for us not only the need for vulnerability, he, he, he does so by, by illustrating the life of Christ, but he also gives to us the outcome of Jesus' willingness to be vulnerable. Right, just, just walk through the text. Paul says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. 
And then he tells us what that is. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Man, can a person become any more vulnerable than what Jesus did for us on a cross? Beaten down, nailed naked on a cross. Hey, friends, here's the thing. The vulnerability of Christ on the cross was necessary for our salvation. It was necessary to bring us healing and to bring us wholeness. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, uh, we read Paul's words to the ch another church, the church in Corinth, when he says, For our sake, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in him we may finally once again have right standing with the one who created us. Isaiah, the prophet of old, in his book that's named after him, Isaiah 53, verse 5, in speaking of the Messiah to come, he says, By his, um, But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his vulnerability we have been healed. But the grave didn't win, Amen. After Paul speaks in Romans 2 of the self-emptying uh, love of Jesus Christ for the sake of our salvation, for the sake of our healing, he goes on to say, Therefore, therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above all names, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, our text this morning graphs how this Christ self-emptying humility, his vulnerability, led to his exaltation, led to this universal recognition that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, church, listen. To write what Paul wrote here, to a first century congregation that was living in the midst of really the pinnacle of the Roman Empire, where emperors were deified by their people, was no small thing. It was not. Vulnerability to exaltation? That wasn't the way people worked in Rome. Physical strength, a sharp mind, political prominence, uh, mixing with the right type of people, that led to exaltation. Jesus' pattern of behavior that, that Paul placed before the church, friends, it would have challenged the entire Roman social order. Then, as much as it does today, am I right? Where do we think in America we find exaltation? Hanging around the right people, political prominence, a sharp mind, physical strength. That's not Jesus. I say praise be to God for Jesus' willingness to be vulnerable. But man, we don't like to be vulnerable, do we? I, I, I think one reason is, is we wonder to ourselves, is it worth the risk? 
Is it worth the risk if I put myself out in this relationship? Is it worth the risk if, if I confess this sin that I have been, uh, that I have been perpetually uh, engaging in? Is it worth the risk? And friends, I say yes, it is. The depth of relationship with God and with each other, hear me, depends on our willingness to be vulnerable. Shared life doesn't go anywhere if we hold everybody at arm's length, does it? Man, this uh, reality to me is so poignantly uh, lived out in small group ministry at Church of the Lakes. We're not a church with small groups. We're a church of small groups. And, and I think the small groups that really show this out in a very profound and poignant way are our healing ministries. For years, we have offered at Church of the Lakes uh, divorce care and grief share and also celebrate recovery. But, but grief share is this uh, healing ministry that's for people who have just experienced devastating loss in their life. In divorce care, well, it's for people who have uh, experienced a marriage torn asunder. And what I hear over and over from people who have participated in these healing ministries over the years is that even though that first initial step was so challenging to make, once they made that step, guess what? They never looked back. They never looked back. Exposing oneself is challenging, yes, but the healing gained after far outweighs. is so worth it. Listen, church, all relationships you encounter in life are going to require vulnerability if you want them to be real authentic and deep relationships as our series has indicated it will take courage to have real relationship with another human being let me end with this when you look at those words uh, vulnerability and courage uh, the etymology of those words they, they come out of latin words vulnerability you know what it means by definition to be wounded or to hurt. Courage, by definition, has to do with the heart. It's translated as heart. So you can imagine with me that living courageously requires heart, and it requires a willingness to maybe be wounded, to, to, to maybe be hurt. But from what I see in Philippians 2, the example of Christ says it's worth it. Because it is through our vulnerability and it's through our courage that we have deep and abiding relationship with the one who created us and with each and every one of us. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, this call to be vulnerable with you and other people is no small feat. Oh God, if we can confess, we don't like to put ourselves in a place where we could get burned like I did on that Florida beach 25 years ago. But then, Lord, we look at your son, Jesus, who went on the cross, who became vulnerable for our sake to make us whole. God, give us the courage to be like Jesus so we can go deeper with you and we can go deeper with one another. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.